Hey, what's going on? It's Britton Frost, and this is Overthought and Understated Podcast, episode number three. Uh, today, I have with me my good friend Jake Rodrig. Um, he's going to be helping me through some of these ideas, uh, one of which in particular is uh, has been of great interest lately, and that is the debate between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of that and uh, also talking about music, uh, music styles, music composition, as we're both uh, musicians ourselves, and how some of that relates to this debate between Harris and Peterson. And we're also going to be trying to make as really as many broad connections as we possibly can uh, across topics. So it should be pretty interesting. Um, I'm Pretty, pretty happy with how our conversation went, and I think uh, my, my buddy Jake was a great first guest, and I can't wait to have him on again. And, um, and uh, Jake, just like me, is, uh, is just a guy, you know? Uh, he, he has a degree in geomatics, uh, and he works as a land surveyor. Um, in Houston, Texas, and he was just he was in town for the weekend, so he stopped by on his way out, and so that was super convenient. And thank you for that. But uh, you know, beyond his job, Jake is definitely one of the most genuinely curious uh, people in my life. So um, he he has no trouble whatsoever at uh, doing what. I really want to do in this podcast is just uh, broaden our understanding of certain topics and issues and um, just drawing connections between things reality, right? Because that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. And uh, ideally, you want to, we want to help each other with that, you know, um, figuring out where you're going wrong, where I'm going wrong, and seeing how we can improve our own views of the world. And uh Sometimes that, that requires broadening topics, and then sometimes that requires narrowing them down and analyzing them tech more technically and then broadening them again and, uh, you know, for the conversation to have sort of a pulsating effect like that, I think is very, uh, is very beneficial to everyone, and that's, that's basically what we try to do here. So um, I hope we were somewhat successful in that, and I hope everyone else enjoys uh, the things we have to say and the and the connections that we're making conceptually. So uh, please enjoy this podcast episode number three, um, Britton Frost and Jake Roderick. And uh, just so you know, so you're not uh, completely and utterly confused. We start off the conversation. We were already actually having a conversation about where we'd like to visit next. And uh, we both agreed Southeast Asia in general would be great, not only because of the history and everything, but because it's extremely cheap. So uh, that's basically the topic we were on while I pressed record, uh, just so nobody's lost about that. But anyway, here it goes. Less than its plane ticket is... Um, yeah. Really, like, there's not much of a net loss if there is. Right. I, I mean, even if you like, even if you go somewhere for two weeks, if it's the case that your plane ticket costs more than your stay and all of your food and your expenses and everything, that's still a fucking awesome deal. You know? Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Like, even if you're not even doing anything, 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're literally, like, doing, like, just going on a vacation to, like, do nothing all day, every day for two weeks, like, it's still a good deal because you still have to stay somewhere. Right. Like, ideally, where do you want to stay whenever you're doing nothing? You want to yeah. stay at, like, a nice resort or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or, like, even if it's, like, a little Airbnb-type place, like, a little shack on the beach, like, it's still going to cost a lot because mm-hmm. you're paying for that exclusivity, you know? Right. So... And even if you're not, like, always on the go, you know, it's, you know, going to all these, like, I guess, attractions, um, you're still, like, going to experience the culture. Even if you're yeah. not doing anything, you know, you might, ex- it might even be better because you experience the culture in a really in, subtle way. Right. You know? In a more, like, organic way, a more, like, uh, you know, something that's that's closer to a local way, I guess. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like... There, there are parts of the world where you pay for that, you know? Definitely. You pay for that experience, so. So yeah. why is this called the Viking Portable Library? Uh, I think that's just that's, that's just a publisher. Or, uh, or Penguin well, it's, it's Penguins, right. Well, it's it's a series, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, portable library in the sense that it's kind of a collaboration of multiple works. Yeah, So I get you. Yeah, man, it's weird how like Penguin is is probably like, you know, published most of the books on my bookshelf. Yeah, Peng- Penguin's good, man. They they have some good like special editions of books and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they they have some cool like artwork on their covers and stuff too. Definitely, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm so attracted to it. Like, uh, I have the Penguin. Uh, publication of gravity's rainbow that was the first thomas pynchon book i read and yeah. uh, and man it's just it's a beautiful presentation yeah you know like it has those like uh what is it called like syringed pa- pages or serrated serrated, serrated. pages so they're so like easy to turn rough yeah, yeah. and uh it's just a cool that's texture. just brilliant you know like whoever <laughs> thought of that like remember those old fucking bibles that are like uh they have that like gold like the gold pages or whatever and they're super slippery you know i don't know because like we had those sometimes because i was like uh yeah i don't know if the catholic churches had that i'm sure they did because catholic churches have gold all over their fucking church you know but no i mean being presbyterian like we had these editions of bibles and like hymnals and stuff that just had like the gold edging on the pages and they were so fucking hard to turn like there was no grip on them at all. It was like negative grip, you know. <laughs> like it was fucking impossible. Yeah, wow. and they're and they're like turn turn to hymnal two seventy three, and I'm like fuck fuck fuck. Like it's taken me forever to get to the page, and they're already singing, and I'm like, how are y'all already on the page? This is ridiculous. I'm like, <laughs> dude. Well, I mean, like if you create the Bible. To have negative grip on the pages, like, do you really want the word of the Lord to slip away from the people? Like, <laughs> Literally slip through their fingers? Yeah. The word of the Lord is escaping us. <laughs> because the pages are too fucking smooth and slippery. Yeah. yeah that's ridiculous, man. And maybe maybe that is what the church wanted at some point. I don't know. Hmm. That's, yeah. We, that could be dark. That could be uh, an interesting thing to explore. Historically speaking... I don't know. Were there like any points in history where like the where the church maybe it's when the church had like political power too, which was mm-hmm. well for a large chunk of recorded history, obviously. But I mean, was yeah. there any? I guess at like any point, direct- like a dark time where the church was trying to like send some kind of like 
counterproductive message or counterintuitive message, like try to get people away from it. So maybe they would like rediscover the word like in a more natural way or something. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know, man. I don't know too much about the history. Like religious history. Yeah. I have like a super basic understanding of, of the whole, you know, Protestant movement, I think, which came from Luther in it, Lutheran or something. I know Veronica has yeah, explained it Lu- to me. How- Lutheranism was the first Protestant religion. Yeah. And like that's that's the sect that broke off of Catholicism when it Luther that everybody can interpret the Bible for themselves, right? That isn't that like um, the catalyst of the Protestant movement? Hmm. I I'm actually I'm not sure. I think like generally speaking, the way it went down was that Martin Luther uh he just disagreed with some of the right traditions and doctrines of the Catholic Church that he felt weren't in accordance with like uh, the way he thought the Bible should be interpreted I guess and mm-hmm. so um, he basically posted he posted his uh, 101 thesis I think it was called like he had 101 problems I'm just throwing that number out there I, I, don't, I can't even remember if that's fucking remotely accurate <laughs> but uh, he like posted it on the on the door of a cathedral and he got excommunicated, obviously, because he's questioning like some of the fundamental assumptions of of the of the religion, uh, and then he started Protestantism. Uh, and honestly, it's like I fucking grew up Protestant, but I don't know what the foundations of Protestantism are, mm-hmm. like belief wise, you know? Because man, I've been to so many different Protestant churches. There are like probably over three hundred of them by now. Right. Like I grew up Presbyterian. I went. I've been to a Methodist churches before. Those are pretty similar to Presbyterianism, and the actual ceremony is pretty similar to the Catholic Mass in general, only, like, there are a few word differences, and there's not, like, in in some of the, like, readings, and we we actually read from the Bible rather than from the little Catholic uh, passage book, you Mm -hmm. know, and... um, Oh, there are just like subtle differences, but uh, Methodist and Presbyterian um, services and beliefs in general are pretty similar. I've been to Baptist churches. I don't know what it means to be Baptist because there are so many different types of Baptist yeah. Baptist churches, and I've been to some like more moderate ones that are kind of like what I was used to growing up, and then there are others that were just completely radical. You know, mm-hmm. like there are some. Southern Baptists that are like, it's weird. They have like really liberal beliefs about scripture, mm-hmm. but they have very conservative beliefs about lifestyle. Mm. And that's weird. Yeah, that if you could, weird. if you could like imagine like just applying like political ideology to you know religion, it's like that. That was the weird dichotomy that they lived inside of. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah. But well, uh, could you yeah. say like? the Protestant movement is like, you know, like branched off into all these different religions. Like it's, it's sort of similar to how electronic music has so many goddamn subgenres. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Well, yes. You know, more so than other, like, like core genres of music. Yeah. Cause like, except, okay. With music, it's like somebody's just, they're trying to express themselves in an original way. Right. And like, they don't want to be labeled by, they don't want to be labeled as whatever this specific genre is because mm-hmm. it doesn't encompass what they do. Cause they have like an original contribution right. to music in general. So, um, but it, I mean, it's kind of the same with religions, like breaking off from one another because like, it's like they, uh, 
they'll in the same way they say, oh, like we want some originality that um, or some label that describes us better. Mm-hmm. And we have a set of beliefs that doesn't quite line up with like this this other sect that we're trying to break off from. Right. So it, it's kind of the same thing, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it's like. You know, like the uh, idea of the cafeteria Catholic who like kind of picks and chooses what he wants to believe out of the set of Catholic, you know, traditions. Um, It's kind of like you can do that and form a new religion, like from nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. You can just kind of like pick and choose whatever you want from every religion and then like make up some stuff on top of that. And And, like like the the existing... uh you know, the existing genre classifications help you to describe this original individual identity that you may be shooting for. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's like good, you know, I, I mean. Is it kind of like an ideal, like an absolute, you think? What? In a sense, like, like the original, Mm-mm. like, or, or is it the opposite? What do you say? The, like the original, like what do you mean? Like if you take rock music and break it down into different subgenres, like is rock the absolute? Or, well, it's, it's like the most generic form of what you're doing. Or, it's, yeah, you know? it's really generic, but like, because, because like, like who, who would be, who would be a rock band? so far outside of us. Like there's really right. like, it's not the absolute, but well, it's no. pretty, but it's getting pretty close it's an, to it's it. It's not an ideal to shoot can, for. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some people who want to play rock music. Mm-hmm. They just want, they want to play super generic rock music. I don't know exactly what that means. I guess you could take like, I don't know, who would you say is like the most generic the rock band? The most generic though? rock band would have to be like... Metallica? Or like... Or ACDC? ACDC? Or like, like some, or some, some classic rock, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some but not like progressive classic rock, like right, like straight up, like we will rock you. Yeah, like. four four timing, <laughs> like uh, yeah, they you actually know. talk about rocking. Yeah, in yeah. the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like the kind of thing that Ricky would be into from Trailer Park. Poland. Yeah, you know, like like he's seen. You know, he hates Rush because they talk about like you know conceptual things like you know the brain and yeah. science they're just complicated you know and, yeah. and he just wants to listen to somebody who i think he's talking about maybe halifax because that's a canadian rock band yeah but i may be wrong don't quote me on that he's oh just wait like, they were like r o c k you know <laughs> <laughs> and he loves it eats that shit up yeah i guess like when i hear halifax Band, he's probably talking about another band that is actually from Halifax, Nova Scotia. But, but like, I think you remember that like band called Halifax? Yeah, from California. There used oh, to, yeah, okay. there used to be like this kind of progressive, like, kind of like emo screamo band. I think from oh. from uh, Thousand Oaks, California. I think I just really? remember that because I remember going on their MySpace page and seeing hmm. like where they were from. I know they're from somewhere in California. I think oh, Thousand gotcha. Oaks. But actually, I kind of used to be into them. I had an I had an EP by them. They were pretty cool. I just liked, they were just like high energy. Like you remember my old band painting the seconds, how yeah. it was kind of like high energy. It had kind of that pop punk energy to mm-hmm. it along with like some, some add the like, drive in a little bit. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Like a little more like experimental stuff mixed in with it, but it was nothing mm-hmm. too out there. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, that's kind of how they were. They were, uh, they had elements yeah. of like, um, I like imposing those sorts of limitations on, on creativity. Yeah, because it, well, it tests you to see how far you can take, like, your creativity working within that framework, you know? Exactly. That was my initial, uh, 
my initial thing I wanted to do with Goldlust, like the EP oh, yeah. we released, like basically I was, you know, my arguing was a progressive metal band. And, you right. know, I was like, man, I just want to make straightforward emotions, you know? Mm. And like, I'm going to limit it so much that like these emotions are just going to imply like punk rock aggression ethos, mm-hmm. you know? And like it's instrumental, so we don't really have anything political to say, you know? Right. Just like super limited, you know? Yeah. But that that sort of didn't stay with me because I just can't help but ex- expand outward, you know. Right. Um, well, you don't feel like you can take that um take that concept and broaden it. Like, oh, I mean, I definitely could, but like a lot the thing is is that um I never ever write with intention. Ever. Yeah. So, like... I think that's the right way to go. I mean, if I did... If I ever did in my life, it was garbage. Like, anything that you'll ever hear me play live or recorded, it was not written with an intention. Because if I ever write something with intention, I promise you it's fucking trash. Yeah. You know? Um... So, I mean, it, it. I sit down with my guitar, and it's like ideas. I don't know where they come from. You don't know where your thoughts come from, which is yeah. like the premise for Sam Harris saying that free will doesn't exist, you know? <laughs> right. But, like, I mean, that's that's a pretty, like, I don't know. That's pretty far speculation, you know? But, um, but yeah. No, I mean, like, I, no, I think I think there's definitely some validity to that. Like, um, some, sometimes, like, when it comes to something like free will... You feel like you're faced with the question, do you believe in free will or do you not believe in free will? Like, as if that's an important question. It's not, I don't think that's yeah. an important question at all. I think, like, what you do is either assume you have free will and live accordingly or assume you don't have free will and try to live accordingly. But right. good fucking luck, because I don't think you can do it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's fucking impossible, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that, I guess that's, it just that's depends what's so on your funny. relationship with free will, you know? Yeah. Um, depending on your relationship to free will, you might be able to live beautifully or not, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, it it depends like uh you know, you might a, a certain like um version of like nihilism might follow from your rejection of free will, you know? Yeah. And maybe you can maybe you're comforted by the idea that you know, we're a speck in the universe and we can't know anything and mm-hmm. there's no truth out there and we don't, um, <clears throat> and that like everything's kind of deterministic, um, morally speaking. And I, I think like most people who would believe that would probably put morality within the scientific knowledge framework. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to, I, I don't know, maybe not, maybe there's an argument, um, for the, for the contrary, but I think I have an argument for the contrary because, because yeah. like the, because the way I viewed nihilism, you know, and that that's sort of synonymous with like you know believing that tr- absolute truth is unattainable. Yeah. You know, within like our objective reality that we sort of live inside, and you know our limitations as humans, as you know, because we're finite beings, not infinite. Um, the idea that absolute truth is unattainable means that I can just live completely in the abstract conceptual world mm-hmm. because um, I don't know why because you know it's like it's, <laughs> it's well, like yeah. there's all these different you know tangents that I'm trying that I, a lot of times like language really frustrates me because it takes so much effort 
and work to to make myself understood and right. like my brain just starts cycling really fast through all these like tangents and I'm trying to you know stamp a flag on each one of them right and like by the end of it when I try to make a point it's just like I haven't put a flag on any one of those okay. tangents yeah you know but um but yeah I guess what I'm getting at is like I'm really comfortable in the abstract world yeah like and that's that's what I'm interested in at least at yeah. this moment in my life and objective reality is really just just a means to expand my abstract conception of reality. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Do you, well, do you think that, um, your, your version of like nihilism that you, you kind of seem to want to call it nihilism to some extent, right? Um, do you think that that licenses you to act however you want to act, morally speaking? No. No. So where, um, (laughs) <laughs> what so so you would agree that there is some like moral framework beyond that that uh, through which you govern yourself even if it is like you have free will you believe that so you're autonomous you believe yeah. morally um, like well what what's the nature of that sort of uh, mm-hmm. well I think maybe maybe I'm like taking nihilism from the nihilists and maybe they're you know, maybe they would be pissed off. Like hijacking the term. Yeah, I'm hijacking the term because, and and it might be just because I'm attracted to to like nihilist punk rock, you know? Like I'm attracted to like fucking grindcore where they're just like, (laughs) you know, I don't care where I go when I die. But the thing is, is like, like a lot of that stuff has a lot of cool existential things to say, Yeah, you know? So like I might be hijacking the term, but yeah, I mean like me and you, you know, our, our recent conversations over the phone and all, I feel like our viewpoints are converging. Yeah, for and, sure. And um, it's so, just in the like in the details and the technicalities that like we don't totally line up. But I think that's mm-hmm. because like we're dancing around the, the broader concepts in a similar fashion, just like from different angles. Right. Like like we're doing two different dances, but we're on the same dance floor. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The way I look at it is like is, I'm doing the worm and you're doing backflips. <laughs> you know? That's fucking a adorable picture in my head. <laughs> well, that, that, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I have I have actually a different like geometric com- conception of that in my mind. Mm. You know, like I view us as like I'm on. You know, longitude in 90 degrees west, and you're on 92 degrees west. So, like, at okay. the equator, at the equator, we're, like, at our most divergent, you know? <laughs> right, But right. that's not where at where we're at right now. Like, where we're yeah. at right now is, like, nearer the poles, right? Or nearer the North Pole or South Pole. It doesn't really matter which, because they both converge completely in an infinitesimal point. Exactly, you know? right. Now, the thing is, is, like, it's sort of impossible for us to get to the poles, because, right. like, who... Like, could that infinitesimally small point where those those great circles com- converge actually exist? Like, we can't really say. Like, a string yeah. theorist might say that because mm-hmm. they might believe that that the fundamental particle that makes up the fundamental nature of reality is infinitesimally small right. to where to where it has no dimension at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like he might believe that no like no dimension could exist. You know, right. and I'm not saying it can't. It could very well exist. But like as far as as far as me being a finite being, um, you know, I can't go stand on that North Pole. You know, I can yeah. only stand on oh, yeah. it to a certain accuracy. You know, like yeah. like to within like you know a certain subsection of of a centimeter. You know, yeah. and um, so so that's why I view us as like maybe you know, uh, I guess. 
87 degrees <laughs> north latitude, right. but like 90 degrees, you know, west longitude, and then you're on a 92 degree west longitude, you know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. And I, I would say saying. that like like listening to Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, um, I would say that like in that podcast, you know, yeah. um, I forget what it's called, On Truth or whatever, you know, yeah. um, in that podcast, I, I believe that uh, Peterson and... <laughs> And Harris were at the equator on their longitudinal longitudinal yeah. lines, right. you know. Um, and and they may not be at ninety and ninety two like me and you are. Like at no, the equator, me not. and you are divergent <laughs> at our our most divergent, but not like right. really that far apart. We're not like, that polarized. Like we're we're yeah. only crossing like state lines at at that scale. You sure, know? sure. But like they they might be you know on opposite sides of the world. At the, yeah. equ- at the equator. You know, if they were on opposite sides of the world at the poles, it wouldn't matter that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, for sure. For but sure. um, but the thing is, is the reason why I voted yes for them to do another podcast is because I do believe that uh, because me and you are converging at the poles, you know, the connections that me and you can establish right now, yeah. um, they're interesting connections and they're connections we can be passionate about, but they're not going to fucking really cut through reality reality like we could if we were diverging completely oh, of at course. opposite sides yeah. of the world. So, like, because I do believe that Peterson and Harris can, if they could put their ego aside yeah, and, yeah. and they could say, look, man, like... Instead of coming up with silly thought experiments to destroy my viewpoint, which mm-hmm. what Sam, Sam Harris was doing the whole time with right. his micro sam his micro examples, yeah, um, let's genuinely try to to come up with like some sort of some sort of conception that will connect right. our viewpoints, right? Because if right. you do that, you're really gonna flourish creatively, yeah. And like that reach, that's a much broader connection that you're reaching yeah. for now, you know. And it's really gonna it's really gonna expand your perspective more so than like the tiny connections that that we might be making at yeah. near the poles, you know. Right. And I right. think they can do it, man. I really do. Yeah. Well, I, I think in order for that to happen, Harris is gonna have to realize that. The, the thing that you said, I said in my first podcast that gave you some clarity, that we live in a conceptual reality, not an objective reality. And that objective reality is part of our conceptual reality. Yeah. And, like, I don't think he believes that. You know, I, I think he believes we live in a strictly objective world. Uh, that's what materialists believe. So, uh, you know, at this yeah. point, it's like, I, I think they could, even despite the fact that they disagree on that point, um... I think they could have an interesting conversation about religion and science, but uh, again, I'm I'm like worried about where Harris's lines of questioning are going to go, and it's going to end up being a bitter debate, just like this last podcast, I think, because they don't agree on enough at the foundations yeah. of like belief and truth in general, you know, and like I think Harris was right to like keep talking about truth in some sense. I don't like the way he did it, but mm-hmm. like the, the idea to try to pin down their conceptions of truth before they move forward, I think was correct. And yeah. the fact that they couldn't move past that tells you something about where they stand and where other co- conversation topics are going to lead, you know? Yeah. And so um, it's almost like in this sense, you know, I, I think with the truth matter, you know, you were saying how um, in our one of our previous conversations that you didn't, you know, one the main thing that bothered you was that they didn't 
really talk about absolute truth yeah, at all. They, they and didn't acknowledge it. They didn't even acknowledge it yet. And I think that would have been important because it would have given them an ideal to conceptualize, an absolute to conceptualize. It might have been like, a starting point to, to it, make it would have been a better connection. Yeah, it would have know? been a better starting point. Like, okay, st- that's what philosophers do, though. We start with like the broad conceptions of things and we try to work down to the details and the technicalities Mm -hmm. whereas like science in order like when science tries to reach truth of some degree they do the opposite like it's a bottom-up process rather than a top-down process they start with the data the details the technicalities and they try to work up and that's why you know you can you can establish higher order truths from not of the highest order, but higher order truths than just on the sensory like uh, data level um, that those micro example truths, you know, you can you can build up from that by accumulating data and fitting it together in a logical way. And um, especially across disciplines. And once you get to that point, you're building to an either higher level of truth, you know, in, in the hierarchy. But like, yeah, I think you're right. Like this this conversation is by nature a philosophical conversation, the debate on truth, and they should have started with the absolute. They should have, they should have taken the philosophical route of top down, you know? Right. And the fact that they, that Harris was so obsessed with the technicalities on the bottom level Mm -hmm. and, you know, Peterson was speaking over him because he was trying to do what I'm suggesting they should have done. Like Mm -hmm. there was just way too much separation, polarized separation in their foundations, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and at that point it's like, I I don't know. I've, it's like, I've heard Peterson in, in other interviews and, and talk in his book as well. And in his lectures about the bottom level technicalities Mm -hmm. in a pretty sophisticated way. And I've heard him speak about what he was trying to do the other day and like taking the top down philosophical approach to knowledge and truth and any number of topics. You can do that with any topic. That's what it means to speak about the nature of something. Right. right. And that's what philosophy strives to do with everything. Um, and that's why it's useful because it gives you literally a broader way of looking at the thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a philosophy of everything. Mm-hmm. But so I've, I've heard Peterson speak from both ends but I've only heard Harris speak from either the technical end or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know, he's mm-hmm. never he's never spoken like content wise about the nature of things in a truly critical fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like he still has his pre if if he tries to he still has his like materialist presuppositions underlying the things that he's saying about the nature of knowledge, the nature of truth, the nature of science and all this stuff. So it, it places a limit on how broad he can expand his theories, you know? And like, this is the problem with expanding theories is like, it's the precision versus accuracy debate, um, in epistemology, which is basically the, the field that they were, uh, working with, you know, in that conversation, epistemology being, you know, um, how do we know what we know? Um, and so, like a theory is meant to be specific to a certain point. It's meant to be precise to, so that whatever content you're trying to build a theory of can be used for some goal or, uh, or for, you know, if you apply a formula to something, it's meant to control the variables, you know? And so what you get is precision and it might be helpful in that you achieve your goals that, um, that are, you know, 
established. Mm -hmm. Um, But the more you try to broaden that theory or that formula to account for more variables, the less accurate you get in terms of truth. Right. At that precise level, they might be shooting at the wrong fucking target. Right. 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 Oh, exactly. Oh, they could be. Not even. They could be way far away. Outside of the target, but just a straight up wrong target. Right. right? Again, I think that's that's what happens when you don't necessarily scientific tools inside mm-hmm. of a moral framework right because right. because the moral framework is it's a broader framework that can account for more mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. there there are moral questions across disciplines but there are only scientific questions about science there uh, about things that you can explore scientifically and those things are limited you can't mm-hmm. ask scientific questions necessarily about like religious matters you know mm-hmm. i mean okay maybe you can approach uh like What's going on inside the brain, you know, materially speaking, when someone is praying, okay? That's like something worth exploring scientifically, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to extract the meaning of prayer from the neuronal processes in the brain, you know? Yeah. So like, um, but the meaning of that is a more religious and broader and uh, even a a moral question, Mm -hmm. you know? It's like, why why why, why do people pray? Um, I don't know. I mean, how would you explore that? How would you explore that scientifically? It's yeah. just not a scientific matter. I, no, I think- it's it's part of it's part of what people do when they try to broaden their conceptions of reality. Right. That's why they're praying. Yeah. That's why we're we're philosophizing. Yeah. You know? And yeah. and you know I I don't know I don't <laughs> think that I don't think that moral truth is the highest truth. Right. I think that at that, that there's an abstraction above that, uh-huh. you know, and and I think Jordan Peterson would probably agree. I think he said it actually is that moral truth is true enough, right? Right. It's it's true enough, and it's broader than scientific truth. Yeah. Right. So and and everything that inside of your conceptualization conceptualization of reality should be, you know, what you determine is true enough for you and Uh for you know for the world that you inhabit right but like i always know that there's an abstraction outside above Mm -hmm. you know what i'm capable of you know attaining right and um and that's why i think that you know this concept that has existed for so long god you know the unknown yeah or the fundamental nature of reality or what buddhists would call the mystic law that's why i think it's like such a fascinating thing to contemplate yeah you know because like if you think of if you think of this thing this absolute truth like think of it as a super organism an infinite Mm. being you know that encapsulates absolute truth like it is absolute truth and it's infinite in every way um, you could you could imagine that it would have perfect language and perfect communication right. skills. You know, like one thing about communication, I think I already said, is that it's so exhausting for me personally. Yeah. I find it super cumbersome to to make myself understood. And even yeah. even with you, who like we're at the poles, man, we're fucking converging on yeah. each other. Yeah. Like it's still that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of effort and work I'm putting into like communicating with you right now, you right, know? Right. And um and so like the idea, like the concept that it does it's irrelevant whether this concept exists or not, mm-hmm. you know, because I can pers- I can I can, you know, formulate it in my head that this could exist, something that has perfect language. It's just like there's so many tangents that you can go from that and help expand your your own 
conceptualization, you know, and uh, it's yeah, just it's, yeah. it's it's interesting to me to think about, you know, something that would be able to communicate perfectly, you right, know, right. but at the same time, like it's it's such an abstract thing that's unattainable, um, that it's hard to even come up with like like uh, objective things that 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 would result from that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, on the on the subject of language, um, I mean, language is just one of the tools we use to try to communicate truth right. and communicate ideas and our and try to like um, reach an understanding of a better conception of reality. You know, whenever we're converging, that's what we're doing. Like we're trying to improve our own as well as one another's conceptions of reality, seeing where they meet, where they don't, and how we can sort that out and improve it. Right. So. Like, but, but language itself and, and speech is, is only one way of doing that. And, um, it's, it's a pretty, (laughs) it's a difficult tool to use sometimes, especially like the more, the more complex, complex. the more complex an, an idea is, the more difficult it is to put words, put it into words. And I like, I don't know, I, I kind of believe, and this might be, um, this might be something that I take for granted that I should question more, but I've always thought that, especially from reading Wittgenstein, because uh, this is a uh, question that he was concerned with in both of his like polarized theories of uh, language over the course of his career, was how am I to say what I mean? Because he took for granted, I think, at the, at the foundation of some of his ideas that... Um, the idea is separable from the means by which we express the idea. Oh, yes, certainly. Uh, it, it, but I think it has to be because we live in a conceptual world that's kind of hierarchically structured. And, mm-hmm. like, there are multiple dimensions of the hierarchy and, like, men- multiple hierarchies of, like, knowledge and truth that we're working inside of. Like, yeah. you have one for music and you have one for, like, these philosophical matters that we're discussing. But at some point... As you go higher up the hierarchy, they converge, you know, yeah, like yeah. there's there's overlap in them and even in some of the details. And I think in like the examples that we can give that are mm-hmm. analogous for both, you know, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's I, I think like the assumption, the assumption that we can say what we mean and we should be taken at face value for everything that we say is a dangerous <laughs> one. I agree. And I think that's something that ha- Sam Harris hasn't seen past. Mm-hmm. I think that's one one of the reasons why like his style of communication and Peterson's styles of communication are so different and almost you know almost impossible to some degree of complexity mm-hmm. to converge because like Peterson's a firm believer in the in the thing that I'm saying about language and you seem to agree with that the idea comes first and our means of expressing the idea is just like this secondary shit tool that we suck at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like Carl Jung, he, he got mm-hmm. that idea from Carl Jung. I mean, you read Carl Jung, it's almost as if you have to read all of him to understand any of him. It's the same thing with Nietzsche to an extent, even really? though Nietzsche is more like... He's more hammer-like in mm-hmm. the way he expresses his ideas. But because he's hammer-like and because there is that greater degree of complexity and, um, and there's a greater level of like coherence among all of the things he says, it's easy to take one of his aphorisms out of context and, and just f- obsess over that and misinterpret it. You know, it's like, 
It's like it sounds like the yeah. death of God is like a pretty easily interpretable thing. And the fact, oh, the fact that he didn't believe in yeah, God and know. that he was an atheist, <laughs> you know, and yeah. you put all those ideas together and you think, oh, well, it's something that he was celebrating. It's like, right. no, he wasn't celebrating the death of God at all. He was he was worried for humanity because we wouldn't know how to govern ourselves because we wouldn't have an absolute of some sort to by which we measure our moral behavior, you know? Yeah. So... And that's exactly what happened in the 20th century. We ended up trying to govern ourselves through fascism and, and communism, and 100 million people died as as a result of it. You mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. but I mean that that I mean that example alone, it's a big example. But um, you know, you might think like, oh, you know, you might think that some of those problems in the 20th century were founded in like economics or something like that. But no, it's, I think it's ideology of the highest degree that caused it, you know, of the broadest degree. It wasn't just economics and money. It wasn't just like battle over resources. It wasn't battle over power. Those were all parts of it. Right. But you can't, you know, reduce it down to one of those things. And so, you know, you run into the same problem with any, like philosophical subject, every philosophical topic, you know, like you can broaden it to, to higher and higher levels of complexity Mm -hmm. and, and account for more as a result of that. And that's the beauty of expanding your viewpoint on Mm -hmm. a particular thing is that like the more you expand it, the more you see the interconnectedness at the higher level of the, of the hierarchy of knowledge of that thing. And then, things start to converge, you know, toward the absolute, whatever that is, you know? And I think like that's, so yeah, if, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that's, I think, I think everything, I mean, I think everything you just said, you know, the complexity of language, you know, these ideologies seem to come from like the higher evolved parts of our brain. Right. I think, right. I think like, that's exactly why I love existing in the abstract realm so much, and I yeah. prefer to I prefer to express myself through just raw emotion that comes from you know the part the part mm-hmm. of our brain that's more ancient, you right? Know? Because I, for some reason it feels like to me that that is actually closer to to the absolute truth, if, you know? Oh, okay. So if you stay in touch, not to cut you off, but if you if you're more in touch with your instincts. You feel like you're closer to an absolute truth um, that sort of a Darwinian framework would aim toward? Sort of, or, but like to say instinct implies that it has something to do with like my survival. And like that's not really what I'm talking about. Okay. Because what I'm, what I'm well, saying is Well, we have like, sophisticated instincts though. Like we, we've evolved for our like – I mean and this, this is kind of founded in temperament. Like the, the degree to which our instincts vary, like just yours and mine, mm-hmm. like I don't I – don't, I feel like I don't have some of the animal instincts that some people do, like, mm-hmm. I, and you may not either, um, or we don't have like all the same animal instincts that our evolutionary uh, ancestors have. Mm-hmm. You know, chimpanzees, like, they they have a different way, they have a, a way of governing themselves that's different on some levels and the same on some levels, and the places in which it's different. I think is part of our instinct, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, I guess one, one area in which they're the same is that like, um, we don't want the biggest, baddest motherfucker to rule because 
the biggest, baddest motherfucker is a douchebag. Mm-hmm. And he's not good at deliberating with people. He's not good at getting along with people. So he'll rule for a while, but then, like, it only takes, like, as Peterson says, it only takes, uh, like, two chimps that are three quarters of his size and strength to take him down. Yeah. And what ends up happening is the ruler of the pack um, ends up being someone who's more, like, interpersonally intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he's he's better at people, and he has that sort of power side to him, too, you know? Mm-hmm. That's one element in which, like, one area in which we're the same, but, like, where we're different is that, I mean, humans have... Maybe this is like a, you know, something that's founded in our more social nature, but like we seem to be more patient. We seem to be more calculated, you know, in our reasoning. And, but I don't know. I mean, if, if, you know, you force a person or even a group of people into being too controlled, like their instincts may take over at some point and they may rebel, you know, and that's mm-hmm. like what anarchism anarchism does you know yeah it's like there's like we want chaos you know we want more chaos there's too much order well it happens I'm, on the macro scale I, th- I think all i'm trying to say yeah. about like sorry that, know, that probably wasn't a you know huge like tangent but. no 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 Dev, I, I, it, it helped expand you know kind of kind of what i'm trying to say and it's not it's not that i you know want chaos it's that i'm pretty like uh, it's established in my objective world and, and mm-hmm. I've learned how to survive, you know, and, um, and I've learned some skills that, that allow me to, you know, uh, complete the tasks in my job, you know, and, and get, and get compensated, you know, to live in this, mm. this society that's, I don't know. Um, but I guess, I guess where I'm going is that, um, not necessarily concerned with, um, like attaching my abstract conceptualization of reality so much to objective reality, mm-hmm. you know, as when, when I'm talking about how I prefer to reside in this abstract realm inside of my raw emotions, it's like, it's like, um, like so, so far removed from objective reality that I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, feeling these, these ancient, ancient things that move me you know just like yeah. completely like you know playing music and you just completely get into a flow state right and right. and and all and it doesn't really matter how anybody around you may be reacting you know um i may be just sitting on my bed you know writing a new song with nobody around me yep. you know and so like i guess all i'm saying is like in, inside of that little limited abstract world of mine um there's there's not much complexity going on. It's like okay. I feel like it's closer to absolute truth because I'm not really having to communicate. I'm not having to fight with my with myself. You know, like I'm not right. I'm not trying to like I'm not struggling to um, order all of my my um, my different you know perspectives into one conceptual viewpoint because because I'm just in the moment and I'm just feeling you know, these, these primal, you know, emotions that move Mm. me, you know, and, um, and to me, that's just, that's, I don't, I have a a really hard time explaining, you know, where my point is with this, um, but I guess, I guess it's just, it, (laughs) Uh, 
I kind of I kind of lost lost where I was going with it to be honest. Um, That's okay. We we can edit out silence. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. It just uh, I just feel like this this abstract world I'm talking about. It's easier for me to connect to to this absolute yeah. truth that I that may or may not exist. It's easier for me to connect to it through raw emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, like okay. it's okay. it's not that That's, hard uh, okay. to communicate raw emotion. Right. It's not that hard. Well, you know, like, one, one reason it's not hard is because you can do it through action rather than through words. Exactly. It's it's hard to it's hard to like uh, communicate a, a super complex, um, con- purely conceptual. Uh, version of an idea, you mm-hmm. know, but if you have like an emotion that would communicate that more accurately, it's like you can just you can just cry about it, yeah. you know, or you can just yeah. like uh, I don't want to like reduce it down to like one simple behavior, but right. um, you know what I mean. Like if if something if your understanding of something is founded in an emotion then expressing that emotion in its rawest sense and its mm-hmm. rawest manifestation is it, it tells you everything you need to know that's why you tragedy know? speaks to me so so yeah. so much you know yeah. because um it just it just really taps in you know when you combine a meta hero with a tragic story yeah. that really just taps into my my emotion and it just moves me you right. know across mountains and um and I guess the thing is, is I, I very much enjoy dissecting art yeah. with complexity, right, with language. Right. You know, um, I really, I, I love that aspect. You know, of, of it's, critiquing. It's fun. It's fun to dance around. It, yeah, you know? yeah. It's it's, it's, it's super yeah. enjoyable to really cri- really dive into and, and right. critique a piece of art. You know, write an essay on it. You know, um, that complexity is fun and awesome. You yeah. know, but like at to me at the at the foundation of that is that raw emotion in the first place, right, you know, and right. it just seems like that's closer to this abstract realm that I believe is sort of outside the, the moral truth that has, you know, any other sort of truth nested inside of it. Right. You know, because, because really like when, when you choose to wear emo- an emotion on your sleeve mm-hmm. and, um, and you don't observe it with an intellect, you yeah. know, that, that's the truest thing you could do, and it may be right. terrible because you sort of yeah. have to you sort of have to use your intellect if you want to nest your actions inside of a moral framework. Right. You, you right. have to. Yeah. Because if if you if you just completely wear your emotion on your sleeve, well, you might kill somebody. Exactly. You know. Right. And um, I mean, there's <laughs> there's like this primal aspect to that that's like seems like it's it's pretty close to like the abstract world of 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 feelings yeah and and states of being right you know but just you know we i I don't know it's just objective that we've evolved to higher states of being where we can use our intellects to control you know control what's already there what we already know to be true you know, right. like uh, on on a broader level right. of analysis, yeah. Right. But when you when you when you go into the art world, you know, yeah. there's, I guess you could say there's objective dangers in that world, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. But like as as an artist, you know, 
if your purpose is to be liberal, which is what I view, I mean, the liberal arts, you know, you want to be subversive and, yeah. and you, and, you know, not shocking to, to be cheap, you know, right. but, but shocking just to subvert expectations and to, right. to grow new possibilities and new perspectives, you know, to yeah. allow people to look at the same thing from infinitely many angles. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of have to like, you kind of have to not be too worried about the danger of um of like living completely in emotion right you know yeah and 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 a lot of times what happens is like you you may create you know what what'll happen like in a soundtrack like say you take a movie soundtrack you know if if you just just completely work within your primal emotions yeah you may end up creating this piece this piece of art that perfectly, you know, ex- accents right, the film right. that you're you're soundtracking, right. you know. So, For like, sure. if your film is is a tragic story of a metahero, and and you completely work inside of raw emotion to create that soundtrack, but it's applied to like this film that may have a lot of language, complex, you know, a lot of complexity, a lot of intellectual complexity on top of it, right. you know, like that that deep raw emotion that's reverberating underneath all of that mm-hmm. is just going to mm-hmm. fucking really throw it in your face. Yep, yep. You know? No, I think that's, that's what art is for. You say that there might be some, uh, like objective danger in artistic expression, but, but art should already be safe in that it is the means by which you channel your emotion to communicate it to the world. Right. Like you do it through the canvas, you do it through your instrument, you do it through this film and like, yeah, the message itself could be dangerous, but that's not your problem. And there's different interpretations. It's It's not your problem. Exactly. exactly. It's not your problem because it's up for the the viewer to interpret it for themselves. And there might be a sort of objective message. And I, I say objective in the sense of, you know what emotion is true to you mm-hmm. and you're the one creating the art. So you are trying to send a message of some abstract, you know, nature, but it's not your problem. If someone misinterprets it, it's that's not. their problem. No, it's, it's I mean, their, it's their lack of attention. That's toward why the matter. critique critics are so important. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm not talking about like, you know, critics who have recognition. I'm talking about every single person is a who actually critic. wants to consume art yes. should be a critic. Yeah, they should you be. You know, yeah. I mean, un- unless you n- unless you're not interested in dissecting art on a deeper level, unless you, o- right. you know, if you if you only want to consume art for inter- entertainment, that's fine. Don't be a critic. Right. But if you don't care about entertainment, and if the only if reason you only why care you, about the meaning, yeah. If yeah. if you consume art because you want to grow as a person, well, right. then like you know critiquing it is super important because that's how you interpret it that's how you establish objective relationships with art right you know um but yeah it starts at this primal level that has capacity to go in two different directions yeah you know but it's it does start in chaos man and it's not until it's not until you it's it's chaos before it's chaos before you channel that through the art itself before you order it right right like that's it starts in chaos but then you take it and you kind of like put it halfway between the line between Mm -hmm. order and chaos because now you're starting to like you know speak about it in a complex manner yeah and um and you make all these connections right you know like um like 
I guess that's one of the things I was saying, like why it would be so interesting if, if Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson could actually make that broad, that connection right. that, that's, you know, it's half the circumference of the equator. Yep. You know, yep. that's a huge, that's a huge reach. You know, they need really long arms to do that. Yeah. It, and, but right. the thing is, is like it, it, it has more potential to expand those infinite perspectives that we're that we need to expand so that we can you know get closer to that abstract realm where where absolute truth may or may not reside right and like i have i have a pretty objective example of that um i mean it's gonna you know it's it's gonna take a lot of my identity into it like the things i'm passionate about but like for for instance the dillinger escape plan is like one of my all-time favorite bands okay now like the thing is, is um, there are many, many connections to that band that I love, yeah. you know? But the thing is, is all those connections are like me and you where we're, we're converging at the poles. I right. like those connections. I right. like them. Right. Like, I like that Aphex Twin has this direct connection to Dillinger because they covered, they're probably the only outfit that has ever covered an Aphex Twin song. Yeah, but yeah. before they ever <laughs> covered it, before that ever happened, they changed extreme punk rock because <laughs> right. because of its influence right, nobody's ever right. tried to turn that IDM into like nobody's ever tried to really create IDM with actual physical instruments right. until them you know and also you know i like the connection um between Dillinger and Zach Hill for instance like mm-hmm. it's it's an obvious logical collaboration like they they did one song together that you can find on myspace it mm. never went further than that okay but it I makes I've ever heard it, it makes complete sense that the guitars from dillinger escape plan and zach hill would, would collaborate yeah, yeah. like i right, love right. that connection because it makes so much sense to me and it's two things that yeah. i'm passionate about okay? right right <laughs> now let's go to the vocalist yeah so greg's new project is the black queen it's like this dark synth pop sort of thing super fucking dark super <laughs> just synth pop right makes perfect sense that he would do something like right, that. right i love the connection yeah. because the thing is is like even though dillinger is so you know chaotic and unbound yeah um they always bring in this extremely catchy simplistic aspect into their music to the point where like greg has these vocal lines that are you know they just they're so fucking catchy and just reach out to you that you could almost call it bubblegum pop. But it's not because right. it has like these dark undertones, right? right? So like all of those things make perfect sense, okay? Yeah. All of that. But the but this is what doesn't make this this is the connection I didn't like. Um so they called it quits. They just released their last album. Okay. And I guess maybe that's why they have some different side projects going on. So Ben Weinman, the guitarist. He's in a he's he's in a side project called Giraffe Tongue Orchestra with Thomas Pridgen on drums. Yeah. From Mars Volta. Yeah. I love that connection. Yeah. Makes, For those of you who don't know, Thomas Pridgen. <laughs> <laughs> makes perfect sense, right? Right. Okay. You would the, think, right? The other guitarist in the band, um, mm-hmm. guitarist from Massazon, that's an okay connection. I could get down with that, you yeah. know. I'm down it. I'm about it. You it know? sparks curiosity at the very least. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's I don't it, love it like I love Pridgen and right. Wine. It doesn't together. seem quite as ideal, but it was. Yeah, yeah I could see it working. Okay, right. So, but this is the off-putting connection for me. Okay. that has changed recently, and this is why the broad, you know, diverging connection is so much more powerful than like the small, intimate connections yeah. that I like on first glance. Okay. You know, this is why their album. 
you know, their little project, which is essentially a, a ridiculous supergroup, has grown on me to a point where I actually like it now, whereas first I hated it. Right. And right. because the vocalist is from Alice in Chains. And I was okay. like, ew, like, I don't like that connection. I don't <laughs> like that connection. You Do know? you not like Alice in Chains individually? Never, never cared for never him cared too for much. Him, yeah. It's connected to like, you know, things that I'm just not into. Yeah, you, know, you, like, you didn't like the whole 90s grunge thing. No, like, it's not, not, not your... in, and I'm not into radio rock, right? Right, right, sure. But like, this is what it did, you know, like, like, it was off-putting initially to me. See, I, I could I could see that working because I like Alice in Chains and I like Thomas Bridgen and I like Weinman and I like uh, yeah I could I could see that working. Okay. Just subjectively, you know, based on my preferences. All right. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, because my preferences are different, it was off-putting to me yeah. initially, but I didn't slam the door on it. Right. I've been giving it a shot for four months now, and um and and I never liked it until like last week. Okay. So like this is the first time in a while that 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 an album has grown on me like this yeah because uh because lately in my life all of these connections are so like instantly gratifying yeah that there's no growing on me but like because <laughs> i'm so passionate about it i dissect the fuck out of it so right, there's right. still still a you lot you know there's of, potential there's there still you, a lot need, of you in- want to find it yeah. And you give it the time you feel like it deserves. Well, yeah. well, you know, the but instant it, gratification thing, you know, I'm very passionate. There's a lot of dissection there, a lot of complexity mm-hmm. for me. You know, there's a lot yeah. of intellectual value in it. Well, but it's yeah. not a broad reach. You it's wanna, not a broad you reach. You want to make sure you understand it before you judge it, judge yeah. whether or not you like it. You know, yeah. that, that was always my idea behind, like, music preference. It's like, oh, you like that or you don't like it at face value. It's like, okay, but... You know, before you establish a preference, what you want to do is the same thing we're doing in conversation right now is like dance around the central themes, the concepts until you understand them. Once you reach understanding, then you see if it lines up with your preferences. But, you know, for somebody who likes to think and feel and intuit things and like someone who has a, a complex view of the world, conception of reality... Like, how could you not like something that um, does take that amount of effort to understand? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know if like there's been ever any bit of music that I've ever listened to that I didn't understand at first, that didn't take me a while to understand, that I didn't end up really liking in yeah. the end. You know, yeah. And, and it's like yeah. the the more time you have to like put into just like listening to it over and over again until you 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 know see how all all the parts fit. It's like that's that's usually the best stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, but yeah, it's what's that project called though? It's called Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. And so like the thing is like, first single that came out, I was like, oh my god, this is a Dillinger Pop song. I fucking love it. Like instant (laughs) gratification, right? Well, they're trying to draw you in. But I didn't. I I didn't like. I didn't like the vocals though. Okay. But I loved the music, you know. But then I listened to the album and I didn't like the music either, you know. Mm. But like I. I, I let it grow on me for four months, and now I'm at the point where I realize that it's a deconstruction of 90s alternative rock, and I love mm-hmm. that. That's fucking yeah. awesome, because it's the last thing Ben Weinman would do, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's so completely subverted my expectations, Yeah. so, like, I mean, that's why, like, I gravitate towards what I would think is postmodern, you know? Yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> but, gotcha. um... 
But yeah, man, it, it really did subvert my expectations, which is such a great thing because like I didn't realize that like even though I always look for what's going to subvert my expectations, mm-hmm. like the thing that most subverted my expectations took me four months to, <laughs> to enjoy. Right, you right, know? yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, uh, it's like I know Thomas Pridgen can kind of do pretty much anything on mm-hmm. drums. Like he just, he's a fucking prodigy. But um I'm always, like, I don't know, with Mars Volta, I could have taken him or left him. Like, I, I prefer John Theodore over all the other Mars Volta drummers because mm-hmm. he, he fit what they did so well. I th- feel like on the first few albums, especially on Deloused, obviously, on the mm-hmm. first album. But, like, Thomas Pridgen is just, like, I hear, like, oh, Thomas Pridgen's doing this new project. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm sure the drums are going to be bad fucking ass, you know? <laughs> bad fucking ass. But, but like... <laughs> is it going to be all Thomas Pridgen? That's my worry. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like he was good at collaborating in that project? Like before I even listened to it, did he, did he overdo anything? Cause I, in, I honestly, draft time? yeah. Cause I honestly felt like he overdid some of the Mars Volta stuff. Yeah. I feel like he stole the show well, in a way that thing, was kind of disappointing as far as like Mars uh, Volta goes on, on the whole, you know? Yeah. I was like, I love his drum stuff, but, uh, I think if he toned it down a little bit, Mm-hmm. didn't you know, right <laughs> just a little bit like he was, was a little smarter about like yeah. but but you know it's like honestly maybe he's a fucking genius because some things i listen to by him like in the mars volta specifically is like okay it took me a while to get it because his drum parts are so complex mm-hmm. but is that drum part more and appreciating it yeah. or is it me liking the song as a whole and i think it's the former you know I think it's just me respecting what he's doing on drums more than respecting the whole. Maybe know? so. Man. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but. You know, I'm not a drummer, so I don't have as deep of a relationship with it as you do. And less, right. I have a less objective relationship with percussion than mm. you do. Like, if I get, you know, if I'm programming a beat and renoise, like I'm not thinking of it like a drummer thinks of it. I'm gonna sure. put shit where it do, where you you wouldn't think it would belong. Yeah, that that can have you know? its its advantages too, though. You know, not yeah. being a drummer, you're not a slave to how you play drums, your style. You know, like you just kind of you listen to a bunch of different bands and like you know what the drummers do to some extent, mm-hmm. but like you don't know how they do it, like yeah. in the same way that I know how they do it. So it's like. You just go with what you want to hear when right. you're programming drums. You, you know, know? The, the the funny thing about me is like I just I just want to hear fucking kick and snare, dude. Right. Snare rolls everywhere. Right, right. Because <laughs> like I have a super limited understanding of it, right? Right. But like because like I put like those those other things that involve drums, you know, like yeah. the cymbals and fucking you know, all of that shit. I'll probably put that in places where it doesn't belong. Maybe it might right. be tight as fuck. Maybe in know? places where it would be impossible to play. Exactly. In real life. Exactly. You know? But I don't. Because like I'm I always thinking about shit. that. Because right. if I'm gonna right. make it, you know, if I'm gonna make electronic music, <laughs> like I don't really care about you know recreating it on a physical instrument. Yeah. You know, but I guess the thing about Thomas Prison is like I'm only familiar with him and the being involved with the Mars Volta yeah. and this new project Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. I'm not familiar with his other projects and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what he's what else he's been involved in. So like yeah. to me Bedlam and Goliath like that 
album was ridiculous. Like, yeah, it, it was, was insane. It was the most chaotic Mars Volta <laughs> album ever. It's like I think so, it's yeah. like Mars Volta, and it's on his fault. It's all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I like it though. Yeah, it's I, I do so too. Chaotic. It's, it's my second favorite Mars Volta album. Yeah. So like, the thing the is, it's like maybe yeah. he was like, bruh. This is like my opportunity to just to show fuck the world what up. I'm fucking made this of. This is my yeah. opportunity to be unhinged, right, right? Just an unhinged drummer, you know. Yeah. And I can respect that. I, but the thing yeah. is, is like maybe I'm limited on my understanding of drums. But him in Draft Tongue Orchestra seems pretty tame compared to Bedlam okay. and Goliath. Okay, you know? I, I like but that. But at cool. the same time, I thought I thought Octahedron was pretty tame. He yeah, was on was. Octahedron. Yep, that's true. He didn't fucking go crazy. It yeah. was it was slow as fuck music. Why would he? Right. You know? Um, well, I mean, you're, you're familiar with the Mars Volta's recording process, right? How they record everything in pieces. It's basically Omar doing shit on guitar. Oh, and then he yeah. hands the individual guitar pieces off to the other members and they record over not in order though. not not in order mm-hmm. and nobody knows how it's going to come together mm-hmm. so like omar he he knew what thomas Perigen was about he knew his style <laughs> he he chose him for a reason you know yeah. he was like okay bedlam and goliath or next album i don't know if they had a name for it before they decided what they were going to record but like you know minor details um he, he probably looked at Thomas Pridgen. He was like, that's my next fucking drummer because I want somebody who's just insane, who's chaos, mm-hmm. you know, chaos to the max. And it's going to work for our recording style because it always does. Like, I know what I'm doing, you know, but like, I want somebody who's insane. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we got Thomas Pridgen <laughs> and yeah, I think he, he got what he wanted there, you know, right. but like you said, I mean, like Pridgen's adaptable in ways that you and I probably can't even comprehend, which is why he was so tame on Octahedron because it was a more like, he understands how to adapt to like more subtle music, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, he's not out of fucking control. He's very much in control on a level that like you or I probably won't ever reach on our instruments, you know? Right. Um, right. Which, like, to me, it just... Which is why he pushes the boundaries and why I'm always intrigued by his drum parts. Because, like, I know that he's, like, he's in control, he knows what he's doing, but at the same time, he's doing everything that every drummer wants to do all the time, is push the limits of, like, you're, you're, you're in that middle ground between doing too much and not doing enough mm-hmm. in terms of your, of your fills and everything, you know? Like, you want to toggle between those two and you don't want to cross those boundaries you want to be like as creative as possible within the confines of the broader conception of the music Mm -hmm. you know and like i think that's that's how omar wants to make music you Mm -hmm. know and like that's how thomas thomas pridgen understands that too like every good musician understands that especially one who like has open fills throughout the song in a live setting you know Mm -hmm. and in the studio i mean the same thing happens in the studio it's like, how far can I push my fills to where it's not too much for the recording? That, like, when we were recording our album, it was like, I, I felt like, because our songs are pretty complex, so, like, I wanted to push the limits, but I felt like I kind of held back way too much on a few parts. Like, the beginning of Heterochromatic, I could have been a little more creative. Like, the beginning of, uh, I don't know, mainly in some of my buildups, you know, mm-hmm. like... I felt like I was really robotic in like holding back my fills and everything. I just wanted to like build it up in with the right amount of energy, you mm-hmm. know, not overstep. Like I don't want to I don't want to peak before the peak is supposed to come, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know. It's it's hard to explain, but it's like 
you know, you have a broader conception of like what the song is trying to do, you know, and that's something that's pretty much out of your control. You were saying how like your creative process doesn't have any planning behind it. You know, it's it's just raw. It's raw. It's natural. You just let it come to you, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's that it's the most organic way to make music. It's the same thing with me and with us and our band in general. Like when we jam, dude, sometimes we like come up with parts just jamming, like warming up at practice that are like 90s grunge, like just driving like a repetitive kind of like grungy like tune. And then we like, you know, do our normal thing where we bring up the energy and bring it back down and it fluctuates all the time. But then like sometimes we're playing something so insane, like just out of nowhere Mm -hmm. that it's like it's something that we wouldn't even we wouldn't even try to like put our other established parts with that and formulate it into a song because we know it's just too crazy or something or, you know, at, at best we would have to like, at, at best we would have to like reconceptualize that whatever's at the core of that part, you know, but mm-hmm. it takes repeating it over and over again to realize what is at the core of that jam, you what's know, at the core? or like what's at the core of it? What, what's the most important part about it that you can mm-hmm. maintain and build off of and like uh like work within the confines of mm-hmm. you know and that's like what y'all when y'all jam on it y'all striving towards that right well towards the core I, of a part i think it's unconscious though like we don't understand yeah. most of the time that's what we're doing but i think yeah. that's what we're doing okay that's that's why i asked that right because right. like we, it's not planned it's not yeah. you know it's not composed it's because like when, when well, I what, write, what composition is what composition is is like it's dancing around a concept in the same way that having this conversation is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, how do we, how do we change this concept and not go too far off and then bring it back and like, um, just make it work, you know? Yeah. And what's weird is like a lot of our songs, we can, you know, I I have this theory that you can fit any two individual parts together with the right transition, but still like you need something else to cover what's common, um, you know, between those parts and among mm-hmm. all of the parts more yeah. generally. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too far off onto well, that tangent. That's another discussion. Yeah. Kinda, but I mean, I, my, my relationship with composition is just like, it's so unconscious mm-hmm. that it, it's hard to, to think there's any effort going on at all, mm. you know? And like, it seems like the only thing that sort of ends up being a conscious effort is like after that original thing comes out of me, maybe like I might sort of consciously alter it, you know? And, yeah. and, and, but really, I guess, I guess a sort of mostly just unconsciously making different connections until like it turns into something that I'm satisfied with. Yeah. And then I could leave it alone or something, okay. you know? But like, I never, I'm so damn busy all the time. It's, it's not often I sit down with my guitar, but, but that's the only, the only time that I make music is, uh, is, is when I, I, I just grab my guitar and, um, and I start writing because right. as soon as my guitar is in my hands, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. You know, like even like recording with, with, uh, Kyle yesterday, it's like, while he's doing other stuff, you know, um, I'm basically writing new, new songs right. already, you know, right, like, right. like while I'm waiting on him to like, you know, dial in my tone, you know, whatever. Um, I just unconsciously start creating something new, okay. you know, and it's just like, it's, it's so effortless. Like, like yesterday I, I ended up coming up with this riff that sort of like covered the entire neck 
of my instrument. Like I started, you know, at at the nut and ended up at the freaking, <laughs> you know, at at the at the bridge. Yeah. And um and uh it's just like yeah, there's absolutely no effort involved whatsoever. Okay. So in, I think well I think that's why you're so hard to jam with is because like would you say this is accurate of your writing style? Like you just you you write something on guitar, don't don't write, you just play it. Mm-hmm. Whatever comes out and then you just try to remember it as it comes out. You memorize it and then you go back to it and play that over again. Like Yeah, yeah. Is I, it more just playing and memorizing rather than composition and like uh, careful uh like reorganization of the idea? Well, well, um I guess I sort of actively reorganize it as I'm writing it. Right. So, so right. there is some conscious effort going on yeah. for sure. Okay. You know, because uh, because I, I don't know, man. It's, it's it's difficult to describe. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot, it, it just it, it depends. You know, like sometimes like this thing will just come out of me and it's just like I don't change it at all. Yeah. Like it yeah. might be like just right from the start. You know. Yeah. But then like. You know, maybe this thing is more of like it might take me. It might take me a while. It t- it'll take me a while. You know, sometimes to to formulate this thing. You know, like right. like say it's just a riff. You know, like I might expand on that riff or I might subtract from it. You know, sure. I might I might reduce it down to like something that is extremely minimal mm-hmm. or I might take something that's already complex and then just add retarded layers of complexity on top of it, <laughs> right. you know, but yeah, it's not I've always, it, it, it's not always ends up, ends up being retarded. Sometimes it ends up being pretty awesome, Yeah, you know, but, um, there's definitely, yeah, I guess there's definitely some conscious effort going on in, in it now that I think about it. It's sure, just sure. like, I think like the effortlessness of it sort of, uh, sort of misleads me into yeah. thinking that there isn't any anything well, yeah because you still like for it to be like coherent at all it, there still has to be some organization of chaos if yeah. it just comes out in raw emotion it's going to be chaos mm-hmm. now of course like you're already organize it to organizing it to some extent through your technical ability to play guitar yeah like it has to be organized in that sense because well, like it, it's other, otherwise from- it would just like every note would bleed into one another and it would be incoherent, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So there, so there has to be like on the surface, but then you're saying like on a level beyond that you do to some extent, you kind of realize a concept that you're working with musically and you try to fine tune it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. I mean, that that's, that's part of composition, you know, right. that's, that's conscious. Like, yeah. um, yeah. You may do it at kind of a subconscious level. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, like I heard that. All right, that wasn't quite right. Let me just like play this note instead of that note. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, but yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess like basically it just. It I just, comes... I did, right there, I just wanted to convince you that it was like impossible to play raw emotion. <laughs> like, like there, there is some composition going on, even though, you know, well, it you is did still, convince me. even, even yeah. though it is still difficult, like once you get to the level of, being satisfied sufficiently satisfied with how a part of yours is organized mm-hmm. and composed it's still difficult for somebody to hear it and understand like the the structure of it to the point that they can jam on it like right away you mm-hmm. know so like if you send me a guitar part that you want me to like record over or something I'm going to spend quite a while listening to it mm-hmm. you know I'm going to listen to it probably about 10 times before I'm even like uh, coming up with like, you know, my first, 
my, my first drum part for the first part that you're playing and then mm -hmm. like working on a transition into the second, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why like, uh, I almost think that like if you and I were to collaborate or like collaborate again, cause you know, we kind of had the thing going for a little while. We jammed a few times and then stopped, but like it would almost be easier to do it from a distance. Yeah. Like instead of getting together and physically jamming, it would be almost, it would be easier to compose from a distance, yeah. you know? I feel like so. Now, now that you say that, like I feel like super bad about um, <laughs> about Kyle because like oh, yeah. you're making me realize that like um, because like you know I'm looking at this whole thing from my guitarist perspective. Uh -huh. Like, dude, like I feel like put like a retarded amount of pressure on yeah. Kyle because I'm like because I'm wanting like him to, like instantly like come up with something, <laughs> you know. The, the, and yeah, that, that goes with what you're playing, which yeah. which you think on on some level is absolute chaos, right? <laughs> it's like you're forcing us to conform to your chaos. It's and it's a tall order. That's the it's a tall order. thing about about me, man. It's like I've always yeah, you're been... a self-centered motherfucker when it comes to playing music. Yeah, <laughs> I've always been in the position where like I was the primary writer. Okay, you're right. You know? right. That's true. So like that's people true. always have to conform to me. Like yeah. that's how it was. Oh, in Dustin arguing. used to tell me about his frustrations playing with you and arguing semantics. Like I was like, they're fucking. Uh, their their name fits so well with what they do. It's like they're arguing over the semantics that Jake is spilling out of his heart through his guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know it's that's chaos, man. I think you just made me realize that like that's a big direction that I need to focus on in growing myself is um mm. you know being like try, maybe I need to try to conform better to the people I collaborate with. Yeah. You know? That's what collaboration is uh, for. You know? Because it, it, it's yeah. about reformulate <laughs> it's about reformulating your conception yeah. of your musical reality. Yeah. You know, it's it's the same thing we're doing in conversation. It's like right. you know, respect um like pay attention to what other people are doing creatively to the same yeah. extent that you're paying attention to me now and I'm paying attention to you, you mm -hmm. know? It's, it's not a one-way street. Like, yeah. And if, if you do want to take the route, if you want to say, okay, this is going to be my project, I just need somebody to play drums on it, and you want to do that with me, for example, and like the best way to do that would be just to send me shit so you can give me the time to independently work right. through it, you right. know, rather than like trying to jam with each other and like organize chaos when it's like really just me first trying to comprehend what the fuck is going on yeah. and then trying to like, uh, you know, come up with a part that fits, you yeah. know, which is, which is not easy to it's, do in any sense, but it's, I mean, unless you're playing country music, but you know, <laughs> well, like Kyle, dude, man, he, he, he really learned, I think he really learned how I work okay. and, uh, and he, he doesn't allow me to, uh, completely go unhinged oh, right, right. in my creative effort, you know, like I think, I think he's like, Hey bro, that was dumb. Like, just take that one thing out, and it would it would just work a lot better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And like, or a lot of times where he really probably keeps me in check is when we actually go to lay down the guitar tracks. You know, like that's where like he's you know because like from my standpoint, if like if I'm just focused on like raw chaotic emotion, you yeah, know, yeah. like my ego's <laughs> too fucking big at that point. <laughs> right, you know right. what I mean? So like, yeah. But like. You know, when we go into the, into his studio and start laying down the actual music, you know, like that's when when he starts to like, you know, really really put his own two cents into it, you right. know. And um, but yeah, there's definitely like 
definitely I need to focus on on um on conforming a yeah. little more. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like I guess the thing is is like because I view art as like this thing that's that that is provided so that I can be subversive yeah. and 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 just do what the fuck I want, you know? Right. Like I'm like, well, you know, like I should be unhinged and liberal, you know, just completely liberal, yeah. you know? But um but, and you're just but, using the people you're collaborating with yeah, to express is, your own Which uh, is thing. fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it is. Like, when you think about it, like, yeah, in the context of this conversation, like, yeah, yeah but it's, um, like, that, that's why, I don't know, I can't remember if it was you I was talking about with this, but it's why certain music um, is so one-dimensional, like Trent Reznor's stuff, you know, Nine Inch Nails, I mean, it's, it's good. But I've never been super into it because it's so self-centered to him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so one-dimensional. Like, mm-hmm. it, Nine Inch Nails does one thing all the time. It, it never really changes that much. Like, even in the context of a song, in the context of an album, in the context of his project. You know, like, you know what to expect from Nine Inch Nails. There are some, there are some songs that differ slightly from others, and obviously that's going to happen, you know? <laughs> but mm-hmm. you have to break it up. But... Um, my idea of collaborating is like you do have to conform to some degree. You have to, uh, you know, negotiate with people like conceptually and through words mm-hmm. talking about what you're aiming at, you know, yeah. but, um, is he even capable of stepping outside of himself and collaborating with people creatively? You know, mm-hmm. it seems like all the creativity comes from him. Mm-hmm. And he just uses the other people to play the technical instruments, you know, that he can't play in live settings and on mm-hmm. the albums and stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, he programs a lot of shit, you know? Yeah. But um, but as opposed to, like, what would, what would, like, a similar project be? Well, I would say that, like, Tool, Tool is kind of from the same era. Um, maybe had some of the same influences as a band on the whole. But, like, they all make a creative contribution and they're more dynamic, you know? Like, I mean, say what you will about Tool. You may like him, you may not, like... But I, I think what I'm getting at is, like, they're more dynamic creatively than, than Nine Inch Nails are, you know? Like, each album is kind of an evolution of their general direction as a band. And each album's a little different stylistically, you know? It's almost as if, like, Nine Inch Nails is, like, one thing all the way through, you know? Yeah. Their style doesn't fluctuate as much from album to album and song to song as, like, Tool does, you know? Well, as a a listener, I have not listened to Nine Inch Nails or Tool very much. Right, right. But my impression of them... That makes sense that Tool would be more dynamic because Tool is so polyrhythmic and yeah. you know there's so much complex complexity in like the actual like composition of their riffs right. individually that you know I don't I don't really see that as much in Nine Inch Nails. No. It's more it's very simple. It's very simple. Know? Yeah. Um, but you, it's because Trent Reznor's the only one being creative. You know. Yeah. Like he he doesn't see drums as an area that he wants any like creativity at all in his, in mm. his music in particular. Like yeah. he just wants well, a simple, a he just wants a simple doom, tat, doom, yeah. tat, you know? <laughs> and that's, that's what he does. Yeah. Now he brings some drummers on tour. I, I loved when he toured with Josh Freese, um, because like he allows, he allowed Josh Freese to 
be creative in the live mm-hmm. shows. And he was within the confines of what's acceptable, according to Trent Reznor, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, you can't tell Josh Freese just to not be creative, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's just that kind of drunk. But he's subtly creative at the same time. He's very tame, you know? Yeah. Like, I-, I love... I I mean, if you listen to A Perfect Circle, like, every fill that Josh Freese did was perfect. Like, it was, it was never too much, and it was never not enough. Mm-hmm. Like, you get the sense that he never really goes off, you know? But you also get the sense that, like, man, he never put one beat wrong. He never did a a role where he shouldn't have. He -hmm. never, like, hit this particular, like, crash symbol where he shouldn't have. You know, Mm -hmm. it just seemed... It just seems perfect. It's right for Mm -hmm. what they do. You know, he's just, like, highly adaptable. And, like, so it actually showed that, you know, when he toured with Nine Inch Nails... I don't know who the hell is playing with Nine Inch Nails now. Like when he tours, it's I don't know Ray Luthier was doing it. The guy from Corn a little bit, uh, but like when Josh Freese was there, it's like he actually Josh Freese showed some creative potential in Nine Inch Nails' music, which I was like, damn. Like if they had done something kind of like this on the recordings, I'd probably be more into Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but it, it's just like my general point is like. You know, the one-dimensional stuff doesn't really appeal to me, you mm-hmm. know? Which is why I think I was, like, I didn't make the extra effort. I didn't go the extra mile to jam with you all those times. It was because, like, I felt like... I didn't realize that this was why at the time. But I felt like it was one-dimensional in your direction, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, of course, like, complex parts on guitar call for... Sometimes call for complex parts on drums. But I almost felt like your parts called for a more simple thing on drums because like i was like okay given Mm -hmm. like the part that exists what can i do in the confines of that and i just kept having simple drum parts come to mind like yeah and i tried to complexify it and i was like "Eh, is that too much does this fit you know Mm -hmm. but I, i think that was like yeah that was why without my realizing it at the time and this was like fuck this is like what uh, two years ago almost like probably so o- man. over probably a year so. ago yeah um it's been a little while since we jammed yeah i don't know i guess like the reason why i thought we would make a good co- collaboration is because i was like you know like like he's my zach hill right right you know? oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah but like the thing is is like like what you know we we've already established that i have a limited understanding of drumming you know, so like, like, right. how do you define Zach Hill as a drummer? Because to me, he's creatively unhinged, and he probably yeah. like to me, like, he doesn't give a shit about putting things where they shouldn't go. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. Well, so look at what he does with um, I don't even know the guitarist's name from Hella. Uh, mm-hmm. But but look at look at what he does in Bygones with Nick Reinhardt from Terramelos. Mm-hmm. Dude, I thought they were fucking perfect together. Dude, I love the shit out of Bygones. Sick. I think that's one of the best sick. Zach Hill projects there is. I agree, And man. they only did one fucking album, and they never went on tour. I was like, fuck, <laughs> man. This is like the best thing Zach Hill's ever done, and I don't get any more than this one album that's recorded yeah. shittily. It's just like, it's like, dude, he set up, it's like Zach Hill set up one overhead mic on his drum set, and then he just went off, and that's yeah. The fucking recorded drum part, and then Nick Reinhardt did like the same thing on guitar. It's yeah. like a, it's like, did they it's record absurd, everything? Dude. Did they record everything live? 
I don't do you know. know. I, I don't think know. They did, dude. All I know is there's there's this one song and I don't know the name of it and it ends with this fucking riff that Nick plays <laughs> yeah, over and over and over and again. And it's so long. It's the yeah. longest riff, dude. Like, you never it, know when it's going to end. It takes forever for yeah. like the actual riff to circle back on itself and repeat. Yeah. But he plays that shit for like fucking three minutes, and you and I never wanted to end. Yeah, like I'm, I'm three not. minutes is too fucking short, dude. Like it's that good that it's just exactly it feels like it shouldn't end. It feels like it should be played for eternity. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No, I, I, I completely agree, man. And I, I just thought that album was so fucking good. But like, okay, so I could be, I could be your Zach Hill if you could be my Nick Reinhardt. Yeah. I don't. Th- I don't. I think my style could potentially be closer to Zach Hill's than yours could be to Nick Reinhardt because I think you're more. I think you're more like uh, like technical, mm-hmm. and I mean that like not abstractly, but like more black and white technical in just the way in your like stylistic way that you play notes on guitar mm-hmm. than Nick Reinhardt is. Like yeah. there's a little more bleeding. Mm-hmm. going on you know in his riffs yeah um there's a little more like uh like the transitions aren't as abrupt right you know and zach hill zach hill you know he meshes with that perfectly because like he's abrupt in how intense he is but mm-hmm. his transitions are pretty smooth weirdly yeah. you know like he's good at actually sometimes they're very gradual you know mm-hmm. like when he's going from one part to the next you can't exactly pinpoint where the first part ends and the second part begins on drums mm-hmm. alone. You know, you need the guitar to like mesh with it to to hear that. Right. But that that was one cool thing about I think Hella is less that way than Bygones. I think Bygones is a little more I, I don't I don't know. I would have to think about that actually. Yeah. But anyway Well to me, um I find Bygones to be more like well thought out than Hella. Hella yeah. seems more primal to yeah, me. Yeah, I Hella agree with that. Hella seems less complex and more primal. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think and more linear. Hella seems yep. more linear yep, to yep. me. That's why. Like, that's why I, I prefer bygones. Actually, yeah, I agree, man. And and definitely okay. like my writing style. Like I've noticed that um, sometimes I become in danger of getting linear. I, I think that's the word I was looking for. You are very linear. Yeah, and you're very abrupt in your transitions. It goes from one part to the other, and there's no like energy fluctuation within the confines of one particular part. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like there's plenty of fluctuation over the course of an entire song. Yeah, but it goes from like uh, you ever listen to Walk Through Walls? Mm-mm. Um, it's like what they do. They go like they have this like screamo like in your face like. Uh, um, like hardcore side to them, mm-hmm. and then they also have this like pretty like indie picking on guitar sort of side to them, and they bounce back and forth between the two very abruptly. They never merge the two. Mm-hmm. They merge them within a song, but they go from one to the other, back to the other, back to the other. You know, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. crazy. I used to fucking love that shit, man. That was one of the. No, it's it's just cool that like I'm playing with David and Grant now because like they played and walked through walls and like yeah they were. Like, Walk Through Walls was one of my main inspirations, and Tony Bajeron was one of my main inspirations to, like, play drums, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, when I was looking. Was, yeah. <laughs> that story was funny. That dude who went to my church who claimed that he was the drummer of that band because Tony's drums were just fucking awesome on that album. And I was like, damn, dude, you're a fucking awesome drummer. And, like, and then my cousin brought me to a show, 
mm-hmm. when I was like 13. Or, no, I was like 12. It was right before... No, I was 13. Because I just started playing drums. And then, like, I saw Walkthrough Walls. It was, like, one of my favorite fucking bands. That I, ever <laughs> I felt like, I felt like you know, a fucking Radiohead fan seeing Radiohead for the yeah. first time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. that's awesome, man. And then I was like, fucking Joey and the drummer of that band, guy from <laughs> church. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? Giving me this burnt fucking CD. But yeah, yeah but I yeah, their, their tra- style was uh, yeah. Transitions are definitely my weak point. Um, you know, like, yeah. even though you have made me realize just now that like there is conscious effort that goes into my compositions, there's probably a lot less conscious effort than most people who compose music right so like it's that's why my it's transitions linear. are so yeah. damn abrupt it's it's len- linear but chaotic yeah 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 chaotic in the yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah definitely i get you man yeah for sure no i mean i'm definitely not uninterested in collaborating i still want to do it you know yeah. and i've still like always wanted to do it uh it's just like finding the middle ground between our two styles of writing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think that's that's the most difficult part because you think of like, you think of any supergroup band, mm-hmm. you know, that takes what you might think are like the best members of each of these bands and put them together, and it's like, well, I love each of those individual bands. This must be awesome. Like, mm-hmm. it's gonna work, right? But some supergroups are like the worst fucking bands. Most ever. of them. Most of them suck dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because they they don't find that middle ground between their styles of composition and creativity in general. Yeah. Like, they it's might just like, not, you know. <laughs> it's like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson not it being is. able to breach across that broad divergence. It, it is, it is. You know? It, ex, you know, except like... But if they it, could, it would be amazing. Right, I think so. I think so, because like Sam Harris is so technical and like Peterson is so wise, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, again, like we said before, you know... Like, Peterson is also technical. He's not sloppy on the technical end of things, you know, like Mm -hmm. some wise people are, you know. Um, He has both sides. Sam Harris only has one side. So, like, I I see Harris as being a drug addict. Like, he's a drug (laughs) addict that needs to realize for himself the broader sphere in which he's gone wrong in his thinking. And until he does that for himself, there's nothing Peterson can do to convince him. Because Peterson would have to use technicalities to convince him but the truth of the problem isn't in the technicalities it's in the broader sphere you know Mm -hmm. that that harris isn't seeing yet so i'm not saying there's no potential there like Mm -hmm. i'm just saying like he has to he has to kill his habits he has to kill his addiction to his way of thinking he he needs to broaden broaden his understanding of his problem right you know i I mean it's personal it's a personal problem if, if he doesn't do that, he won't be able to recognize that they could reach across that divergent, you know, those two. Exactly. Those, you know, they can't. I don't think he realizes that he could reach across it because right. he's he's not given any. Every, I think I every, think anybody's capable of it. I, yeah. I think anybody's capable of enlightenment. So every to speak. every thought experiment he conjured up in that podcast was with the intention to debate and destroy the other's yep. viewpoint, not with the intention to make a connection. Exactly. So exactly. he has to do what, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Or, yeah, you won't be able to make that connection. He, and I do, do <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that Peterson... I do believe that Peterson... Yeah, I, I do believe that he he does 
see that that connection can be yeah. reached. Uh, he does. He definitely does. Mm. That, that's where that's what he was talking is, about in his open letter mm-hmm. following the podcast. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what he he pointed on. He's like, I feel like there is something we can do here. Whereas, like, um, like, and do on a broader level of conversation and complexity, you know, um, outside the sphere of like the technicalities, but. But when Harris says what seems to be the same thing, like, I feel like there's something I'm missing here, what he's really saying is, give me a singular, simple, simplified explanation or example on my lower level of analysis <laughs> that'll put the broader thing into perspective. Yeah. It's like, no, that misses the point entirely. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, he's so focused on, like, actually committing the single cause fallacy. Like, give me a singular explanation to the problem that we're having, and then we can move forward. Mm-hmm. And Peterson's like, no, just, like, let's, no. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't yeah know. man. It's, yeah, he's definitely extremely one-dimensional in that sense. Right, he's he's Trent Reznor in this situation, yeah. and uh, totally self-centered. And, and Peterson, like, sees that, but he's, like, also... But, you know, Peterson's an emotional guy, man. He got frustrated, and he got one-dimensional in his line of argumentation, too. Right. Um, in trying to, like, convince Harris of the broader truths mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But, you know, he still... He got one-dimensional in his way of doing that. Because and, he, he, got, he got stirred up, you mm-hmm. know? And Sam Harris is is like one dimensional without passion without emotion so yeah. like, like it's lifeless what, man what is there yeah. what is there to be interested in <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. i do find him interesting in his other in other podcasts For just sure. because like usually the person he's talking to is like open enough to allow him to completely just not have to debate with it you right. know like right. like right. like whereas like I mean, Peterson is definitely more open than Harris, but both of their egos were kind of getting in the yeah. way, right? Yeah, that's, but, yeah. Um, that's what caused the one But, like, I guess, like, Harris can't let, like, anybody's ego get in the way, you know? So, right. like, so right. he does fine on Rogan's podcast because Rogan's so good at paying attention. Right, he is. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and Ro- Rogan's, like, you know... Rogan is okay with someone coming in there and not exploring higher truths. Like Rogan mm-hmm. adapts to the level of analysis, the level of complexity that his guest wants to operate on. Yeah. And he stays within those confines. Mm-hmm. Like Peterson is less agreeable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Peterson's going to say, no, right. But I'm, I'm ultimately searching for truth. Like, so let's broaden this, see if we can account for more variables. And if we can't, then all right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like every time Peterson tried to broaden the conversation to account for more variables with Harris, Harris like he 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 held he held back from that. He was like, no, that's a change of topic. It's like, no, it's not at all a change of topic. It's just a broadening of the topic that you're on to try to account for more levels of truth. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that like that that was the main fundamental point that he was missing. But like. Um, yeah, Rogan, like, like you said, Rogan is super good at just adapting and Mm -hmm. like, and going with the flow. And that's Mm -hmm. why, that's why he appeals to so many different people. That's why he's the number one podcast in the world. You know, right? right. Like, is he, is he number one? I think he is. I don't know. He's close. I I haven't looked at the charts in a while, but every time I've looked at him, it was like JRE top of the list, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I was like, I, I understand this. Like he's Oprah Winfrey for guys, you know, <laughs> that's what Rogan is <laughs> and he's hilarious. fucking good at it. You know? Yeah, man, dude, I, that black tea is like giving me the jitters. The jitters which, uh, yeah. I it never, is high in I've, caffeine. I've never had that 
issue, but I think it's probably because, like, before I drove here, my sister made me some espresso. Oh, okay. So, like, On top I normally of that. don't get the jitters, but for some reason, I'm, I'm struggling with this physical problem inside yeah. of me right now. It's a lapsang tea, by the way, from <laughs> India. Lapsang black tea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty strong. I'm pretty sensitive. Like, I feel like I can only have, like, one little eight-ounce cup of coffee mm-hmm. or else I get the fucking jitters and it doesn't feel good. I feel, like, unsettled. But yeah. But one thing that is good about it is, like, it does, like, keep my mind fucking turning. Like, yeah. it, it keeps, like, my thought process just, like, going in a fucking loop. Like, right. I might I might get circular. Content-wise, content-wise, it may not expand, like... Mm-hmm. Any, I, I mean, they say like some amount of caffeine is good for the brain, and then too much is well. I mean, obviously, too much of anything is bad, like and addictive. But um, I feel like you know my threshold for what's too much is pretty low. You know? Yeah. Well, my as far as caffeine I think goes, I, I don't. I don't have a caffeine habit though. I don't drink tea or coffee every day. So me neither. And where where I'm at right now, man, is just like. Like, I'm shivering so much that it's yeah. starting to get in the way. You know, like, it could help my, it's you probably, know, my mental cycle. It's probably but kind like, of nipping here, too. It's, is it's it? obstructing me, you know? Like, yeah. like it's, it's distracting me from... Uh, <laughs> well, we've been going for... Because it's a little uncomfortable. But hour and 41 minutes. Do you feel like you want to go any longer or um, do you want it, to stop? I can, I can keep going. It really doesn't matter, man. Yeah. Like, uh, I know... Um, if this ends up being, you know, a worthwhile conversation, you yeah. know, um, if I, I, I do believe that as far as like our conceptual frameworks yeah. of reality, I, I still think that we're, we're pretty close to converging at, at those poles, you know? Yeah. But like, if you imagine that, that our timeline is along that great circle, yeah. around the globe and that we actually circle it yeah. like if if we were ever to do this thing again i would hope we would be at the equator where we're most divergent okay yeah. because then we could have a broader reach and it might be more sure. of a challenge to actually you know make connections Good. yeah you know yeah. but yeah. but with saying that you have definitely opened up my eyes to some things today you know okay. as far as like as far as like how I work artistically, creatively, yeah, you know, yeah. you definitely, um, you definitely really grabbed something out of me and and made me realize, um, how you know I, you know, how I could be in danger of get, becoming very one dimensional. Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah, um, get get your head out of your fucking ass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> creatively, no, it's hard to do, man, because like if you take that approach to creativity, like, um, where what you want to do is just communicate raw emotion and feeling like it's, it's hard to collaborate with people because you want to send your conceptual message mm-hmm. in, in the purest form, you yeah. know, but like, and, uh, it's, and it's turned me into a control freak maybe. Right. Right. To a little bit, you know, which yeah. is not good. No, it's really hard. Maybe just like, it, it'll cause you to like think about, what making music with other people is about more generally, you know, yeah. like it, yeah. it is about collaboration. And that's one reason I have a love hate relationship with it. Cause I would, I would prefer to do what you do. Like yeah. I would prefer to just like make all of my music my way from home. But right. like, and like I come up with guitar parts in my head all the time, but I don't know how to technically play guitar, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I could probably figure out how to write it mm-hmm. on a, you know, program, but it would, it would sound you know, it would sound inorganic. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. I would prefer to have a real guitar, but like, 
again, it's like, I don't know, maybe there's a way for me to channel my like ideas about composition, like that I want to hold to myself and not collaborate with anybody on. Maybe there's like other, something else I could use besides a guitar sound on Mm -hmm. like some other programs, you know, I'm I'm still learning like the absolute basics about making music from my computer. Uh, But one thing I have decided is that like, any electronic music that I make, I'm going to put real drums to. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like, uh, you ever heard Zorch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Zorch from uh, Sergeant House Records. They they only imagine, made that one album. I imagine that they play live synths, though. Like they, they, they do. Like, the guy is actually technically skilled at playing that instrument. It's not yeah. just programmed yeah. IDM. Right, right. You know? Yeah, he play, Yeah, he does. I've seen some live videos of him. I've never seen him live, but... Yeah, I've seen in videos. He has like a bunch of you know synths and keyboards and uh, laptops and shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but he's doing something, and it yeah. sounds like the album for the most part. And they do a lot of improvisation and stuff too live. They're I don't think they're even together anymore. But I thought they were fucking awesome. I thought that album was kick ass because yeah. it was it was like electronic stuff with real drums to it, mm-hmm. and it was like I don't know. It was just super dynamic. I liked every fucking song on that album. You know, yeah, I thought it was pretty brilliant, and like I want to emulate that concept, but obviously, like through my own like creativity, right. and, like you know, do, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's your own state of being. Just, just take that concept <laughs> and apply it to your to who you are. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man, we'll say, uh, let's say we end the recording right here, and maybe pick it up again some other time. Yeah. I'll, um, I'm not going to chop this up too much. I feel like there's not too much to do. Well, can uh, I say one thing before we end it? Yeah, and yeah, definitely. Honestly, I, I was going to I was gonna say this before we dove into the conversation, but I just didn't because I didn't care at the time. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to apologize for my dumb South Louisiana accent. <laughs> I, hope it's, I hope it's not too off-putting. <laughs> maybe if you do, maybe you might want to chop this part and put it in the beginning. I don't care if you don't even use it, you know. Yeah. But it is, it is like a an insecurity of mine that I wanted to present. I just wanted to acknowledge it because uh, I don't think it's worth, um, you know, talking about really. But yeah, yeah, I just felt like it was worth, worth acknowledging because I am insecure about it. Okay. Understood. (laughs) Well, like, you know, linguistically speaking, like it's a natural thing and it's not something to be like ashamed of necessarily, but I don't know. Maybe it's just cause I know you and I've been knowing you for a long time and like, I mean, I don't, I probably don't hear it as much as like some of the people who listen to this are going to hear it. Um, but it, I guess what I'm saying is it, do, it really doesn't fucking matter. And you know, and <laughs> your, your accent, I can say for sure that your accent isn't nearly as strong as like it could be if you were from like down the bayou, like La Rose is Gordon Meadow or something like that. Like, you know, it's not quite like that. So right. like, it's definitely not going to matter to anyone. I'm pretty damn sure. You well, know? I have become very aware of it. Like, just yeah. moving to Houston, Houston man. Like, people probably point it out all the time. Huh? Well, people don't really point it out, but I'm self-conscious of it. Like, okay. And, you know, and, like, not I'm not self-conscious enough to make a difference. Like, yeah. I don't actually, like, put any effort into, like, revising the way I speak, you know? Like, because people honestly, do, do that. You know? Honestly, like, it'll probably happen naturally. You don't have to try. If you if you live in Houston or a place where people don't speak with a Louisiana accent for long enough, it'll probably go away, and then yeah. it'll come back when you come back for the holidays and spend time around your family and your your dad especially. You know, um, yeah. well I don't know. Well, both your parents have it, huh? 
I think mostly my mom. Mostly Veronica my mom. Says, that's true. That's true. Veronica Your always says that like like she doesn't really understand why my accent is so thick because she says mm. like me and my mom Are you have a, mama's a thick boy? accent and like nobody else does. No, I'm not a mama's boy. I, I hung out with my dad most of the time. Yeah. When I was, you know, he took me, he took me do all kind of shit, you know. Like, yeah. Where did you breastfeed? I have no idea. Probably. Yeah. I'm sure I did. Okay. I mean, I'm sure I did both, right? I'm sure, I'm sure I did. I, I, I breastfed. I, I didn't breastfeed at all. Bottle. I didn't breastfeed at all. Um, I mean, some people breastfeed 100%. Others are Gerber babies. So Always like, a Gerber baby. Some, some do a combination. Her out of her titties, man. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Jake's mom's titties. Let Let's end it on a good note. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. Yeah, I'm sorry if I brought up anybody from my personal life into this podcast. Yeah, that, that would not would rather not be talked about on the internet. Right. right. <laughs> if this ends up being on the internet, oh, it'll be on the fucking internet. Probably, probably tonight. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I understand that you know a podcast can maybe go wrong and not end up being very valuable. Yeah. You know? No, I th- and I, I know think... that's probably a decision you're gonna have to make when you when you do any sort of editing that you would do. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. I'm just, I'm not going to chop it up too much. We'll see.